0: Jeremiah, and um, we're going to look at chapter 3. So if you look between Jeremiah and Ezekiel, uh, you'll find the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is written by the prophet Jeremiah. It's it's his lament as uh, he's experiencing the, the judgment of God on Judah for her sin, a judgment that he had prophesied in the book of Jeremiah. And uh, but now is now experiencing, and we have in, in the Lamentations his weeping in a sense. Uh, he's called the weeping prophet. Lamentation ch- chapter three, and we're going to read the first uh, twenty-four verses. Let's give our attention to God's word this morning. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely he, against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord remember my affliction and my wanderings the wormwood and the gall. my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, we believe that you have given us this, your holy word, uh, to edify us, to teach us who you are, to teach us your ways, to show us your salvation in Jesus Christ. But we need your spirit both to understand it and to apply it. And I pray, Lord God, then that the spirit would be given again today in power to do his beautiful work of showing us the reality of you, the living God, and the wonder of all that we have in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, that um, our lives would be impacted and changed and we'd be encouraged and comforted today by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message this morning is Reason for Hope. You know, this is uh, the, last day, the last Sunday of uh, the year of our Lord, 2018. And um, when we come to an end of a year, I tend to get uh, reflective and maybe even a little melancholy. But another year has come and gone, and uh, it's been um, a year full of many good things. Uh, there's been marrying and giving in marriage, as uh, the Bible speaks of. Uh, we welcome 19 uh, infants into the membership here at Harvest Church, children born uh, to us. Uh, 12 covenant young people made profession of faith. Uh, we were able to hire a church planter this year, and that's moving forward wonderfully. Um, more importantly, uh, we grew together this year in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We we were able to open the Word freely week after week and in our homes. Uh, we were able to see our children growing in faith. Uh, we uh, God was faithful to us in whatever trial or circumstance, uh, and there have been some hard circumstances. There have been some hard and heartbreaking things. Uh, we've we've wept over sin, sins that we've committed, sins that others have committed against us. We've um, we've experienced the reality of of wickedness in in uh, very personal ways. We've grieved loved ones who are making decisions that are um, detrimental to their spiritual well being and against the will of God. Uh, We've known the the soul-searing pain of death, of losing precious loved ones that God has called home. And we know, as we close out 2018, that unless the Lord returns soon, 2019 will be full of of the same joys and sorrows uh, that God has given to us here in this life. And so there's something appropriately sobering about the end of one year, and as we look to the beginning of another, Uh, It reminds us that we are citizens of time, that uh, no matter how many days the Lord has ordained for you, and he's ordained a number of days for you that's set, and no matter how many that number might be, there's 365 less of them than there were uh, this time last year. The sands of time are sinking, the dawn of heaven awaits. Uh, We live in an age of passing, fleeting, temporal things, here we have no lasting city. And we live in a temporal, shakeable kingdom, the kingdom of this world. Uh, and things could happen in 2019 that dramatically alter your life. Things like the death of a loved one, things like illness, war, poverty, natural disasters, famine, all these things are realities in this world in which we live. And any one of them could radically change the shape of your life, as you now know it. That's, that's the reality of living in this world. And, and I'm not saying that just to be melodramatic or to frighten you or to depress you. But I think it's, uh, it's helpful for us, as we come to the end of a year, to look around in the world in which we live and to, to see straight up the reality of the brokenness, the fallenness, the curse that belongs to this age. And, uh, and there's a value there because those things are really the backdrop against which uh, we see in much clearer color and beauty the hope and the joy and the peace that God's children actually can have in the middle of this world, in all of its brokenness, because of Jesus Christ. The... Um, Two weeks ago in high school theology class, we studied the concept of hope. We're going through Tim Keller's book, Making Sense of God, and he speaks of uh, of a hope that really nothing in this world can, can touch. And it just struck me again how much the Bible talks about hope, not hope as a, uh, um, a wish, but hope as a rock-solid, convinced certainty about good things that are, um, are for us, things that are going to happen. We're utterly convinced of it. We have, a, we have this hope. And it struck me again how much God desires that our lives be conspicuously defined by this idea of, of hope, expectation. I, I told you this story before, but I think it, is, it captures it so well. When uh, Eric Hauser was telling me, when he was a young man, he was um, taking a, a, a trip in, uh, somewhere in Russia, and they were walking along a street, he and his tour guide, and um, a, a Russian man came walking past them, and as he did, he looked at Eric and sort of smirked and said, American, in a very derisive way. And Eric was somewhat uh, struck by that. And and he said to his tour guide, well, A, what did I do to offend the man? And and B, how did he know that I was American? And the tour guide said, to him, well, it's it's in your face. And Eric's like, what do you mean? And he said, you have hope. You have hope. Christians ought to be conspicuous in the world as people who have hope hope. And it ought to be evident in our face that we expect good things. We expect great things. Well, you have to have reasons for that. Uh, The Bible, particularly the New Testament... Uh, God talks over and over, Paul Paul prays that the eyes of our heart in Ephesians chapter 1 would be enlightened so that we would know the hope to which God has called us. Paul says in Romans 12, rejoice in hope. Romans 15, 13, may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope. Hope ought to be a conspicuously noticeable uh, mark of the children of God. And in making sense of God, Tim Keller just points out that Christians uniquely should should have this characteristic. The hope that we have in Christ is not just optimism. It is much, much deeper and certain than optimism. It's a conviction. It is uh, the Christian, uh, the life of a Christian has every reason to be exploding with hope hope, this unshakable expectation of abounding goodness in this life and the life to come. So uh, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life now, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Then no matter what the circumstances are, the goodness and the mercy is reason for great hope. And so rather than looking into 2019 with trepidation, and uh, humanly speaking, we could point to many reasons for trepidation. Stock market is shaky. Uh, the president of our, of our land is, is, uh, just doesn't strike us as a reliable, trustworthy person for many of us. Uh, the politicians in general, but, but then again, um, they're just men. And what can they do? The world uh, seems to be increasingly a scary place. But that's just humanly speaking. Christians, you see, have um, a whole other way of looking at things, even in great trial. And that's the benefit of Lamentations chapter 3. <clears throat> in Lamentations chapter 3, we have a godly man who is experiencing great suffering, great affliction from God. And we're going to look first, then, at his affliction, then, rec- his, secondly, his recollesh- recollection, thirdly, his hope. His affliction. Uh, the reason you see Lamentations 3 is, is so powerful and it's such an encouragement is precisely because it's not being written on one of these nice, bright, sunny days when, every, when all is right with the world. Uh, Jeremiah is not just uh, relishing a, a, a really great set of circumstances. Now, we do get to do those sorts of things. We get to relish all the good gifts of God. But if your hope, you see, only works on those days, then there's something wrong with it. Lamentations 3, Jeremiah is writing from a very different place. I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. It sounds like the opening line to a very dark novel. And in the following verses, he describes in painful detail the reality of the rod of that he is under, what he's experiencing from the hand of God. Notice how many times in verses 2 and following that Jeremiah says, He he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Verse 2. Verse 4. He has made my flesh and skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped, enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness. He has walled me about so that I can cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. In verse 8, he doesn't listen to my prayers. Verse 9, he's blocked my way with a, my path with a way of stones. Verse 10 and 11 and 12 talk about the, the trauma that he's experienced from God, he's, that God is like a, a bear lying in wait or a lion crouching by the path, and he was walking by, and God jumped out and dragged him off the path, dragged him into the bushes and mangled him. That's what he says mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrow. Jeremiah is, is talking about his experience with God. That God uh, has devastated his life in every possible way. It's a good reminder of a chapter like Lamentations 3 because we, we uh, sort of live in a cultural theological soup that talks about God as a loving God who would never dream of allowing hard things to happen to his children, much less ordain and do them. Well, Lamentations 3 just puts all that to the lie. Uh, God has done these things, and he's done them to his prophet to one of the most godly men, obviously, that would be living in in Judah in that day. Jeremiah knows it's God. He knows what's happening, and he knows why it's happening. His suffering is a direct result of God's wrath. He's experiencing the rod of God's wrath. God is disciplining his covenant child, Judah, because of her sin. That's been Jeremiah's message. He was sent to Judah in the last days of her existence as a nation, If you want want a timeline, I don't remember exactly the Jeremiah's uh, birth and death dates, but if you think 550 B.C., somewhere in there, Judah is on the verge of being taken into captivity by the Babylonians. The the northern ten tribes of Israel are already gone, and they'll never return. David's kingdom is collapsing. And in a sense, we come to an end of a road, or at least Jeremiah is prophesying that if you do not repent, people of God, God will be faithful to his covenant promise where he said that he would discipline you, he would punish you if you did not uh, repent and humble yourself before the Lord, if you did not get rid of your your idolatries. and They mocked him and laughed, and they they punished and tortured uh, Jeremiah, the prophet of God. And now the suffering has come. But it hasn't just come to Judah, it's come to Jeremiah as well. He's been called to suffer with God's people, though Jeremiah has done no wrong, covenantally. And he's devastated. Lamentation 2.22, in the day of the Lord's anger, no one escaped or survived. Those I cared for and reared, my enemy has destroyed. The armies came, the temple was sacked. Jerusalem was overthrown, people were dying and slaughtered in the streets and the survivors were dragged off to Babylon. And so the litany of pain comes to a conclusion in the verses 17 and 18, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished, I'm done. And so has my hope from the Lord. Uh, the NIV has all that I had hoped for from the Lord is gone. What do you hope for from the Lord? What, what are the things that you pray for and ask for? For God to give you. I think we pray for health. We pray for happy marriages. We pray for families that are, that are strong and growing. But We pray that our children be growing in the faith. We pray for meaningful work. We pray for protection from, from hard, painful things. These are things that we ask for from the Lord. And that we thank God for when he, when he gives them to us. But, but what do you do when God takes them all away? All the things that you had hoped for from the Lord, uh, God, God takes them away from you. That's Jeremiah's pain, and, and God doesn't seem to be listening to him. So when he prays, Jer- Jeremiah says that, that God just closes his ears. And, and when Jeremiah tries to, to move forward, God just blocks the way with stones. So what do you do when God is against you in that way, in that, in that way of discipline and, 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 and anger? Well, Jeremiah goes to the Lord. He reminds himself of some very specific things that he knows are true concerning this God who is is punishing his people this way. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So we see, secondly, Jeremiah's recollection. This I call to mind. It's a very important phrase. We see it in Psalm 42. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? And then the psalmist speaks to himself, put your hope in God. Jeremiah speaks to himself, what do you know to be true about God? You're experiencing all these hard, devastating things. But but is that all there is to know about God? Is is the reality of your suffering and and pain, the reality, uh, the fullness of, of reality, is that all there is? And Jeremiah says, no, it's not all there is. There are other things that are true, and in some sense, more deeply true, things about God and things that give reasons for hope. You see, Jeremiah, he knows his God. He maybe remembers God's prophecy, his word to Jeremiah, that Jeremiah spoke to the people in chapter 9, 23, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Jeremiah knows his God, and he knows that God does not willingly afflict the children of men, that that behind and beneath the discipline of God, there is love, an ocean of love. And so this is what he calls to mind. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so let's look together at these things that that Jeremiah calls to mind. These reasons for hope. The first, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The the Hebrew is a little challenging here. If you have an NIV, it'll read, uh, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Other translations have, because of the Lord's great love, we are not cut off. The the, the main idea is that God's anger is not the final word and it is bounded by love. That that God's anger is real, but there's a a line over which it will not cross. And that line that is drawn by love means that, that God's anger will go this far and no farther. We are not consumed, we are not cut off. There's something in God that goes deeper than his just wrath. His anger is momentary. His love is eternal. The psalmist says that in Psalm 30, verse 5. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. God reveals that to be true when he reveals himself to Moses. In Exodus 34, I, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so Jeremiah calls this to mind. This truth about God's steadfast love. And and you see, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and there are two reasons for that. There are two reasons it can never cease. The one reason is because it is part of his essential character and nature. God is love. The Bible never says God is anger. God is is love. And you see, it is precisely because God is love that his anger is real. His, his anger is his loving and just response to evil. If you love your child, you will be justly angry when someone sins against or wounds your child or has, uh, commits evil against your child. You would not be a loving parent if you did not feel that uh, indignation. God's love is part of his character. He's eternally been a God of love. And so his steadfast love never ceases because he doesn't change. And his steadfast love never ceases because not only the character of God, but because of the character of this love. It is Hesed. It is that the word that means covenanted, committed love. And precisely because God has committed himself to love his people, it cannot cease. Even as he disciplines his people, he does it in love. And and because um, he has made this promise to them, he will not consume them. Malachi 3, verse 6, also spoken to these uh, uh, sinning people I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I, the Lord, do not change. I made a commitment, I made a promise. You see this in good marriages. Why will a wife put up with things from her husband and a husband likewise with his wife that they wouldn't put up with from anyone else? Almost no one hurts us the way that we can hurt our spouse. Why do we do that? Because, you see, she made a a promise to him. And she's committed to that promise. And even when he blows it and wounds her, she's not going to give up. She won't stop loving She won't stop this committed um, conviction that that this is what she's meant to do and and desires to do. And that's just a very small little picture of what God does in his covenant with us. He's committed himself. He's he's signed it in the blood of his son. The steadfast uh, love of the Lord cannot cease. For then God would, would, would violate his own promise, his own word. We are not consumed because he will not stop loving us. And so there's reason, friends, for great hope. Whatever the circumstances of our life are today or whatever they might be in 2019, the steadfast love of the Lord will never cease. And because of that, we will never be alone. We will never be lost. The second reason for hope is the unending mercy. His mercies never come to an end. There's something even more tender about this. It's one thing to think about God, uh, uh, love is his character, love is his commitment. In some sense, right, we could say he he has to put up with us because he committed himself to it. But the, the mercy of God speaks of the tenderness of God towards us. That there's a compassion, a yearning for, a deep concern for. If you've ever just been really tired... And maybe, um, and, and, and hurting inside. And someone comes and shows you genuine empathy. If someone comes and says, I am so sorry that you're going through that. You just notice that tears can easily come to your eyes. And, and the tiredness is dissipated a bit. Well, that, that's how this should feel when, when the Bible says that his his mercies these are tender mercies which is it's much more than god just empathizing it's not it's it's more than god just saying i know and and, and i'm sorry god god doesn't say i'm sorry but he does say i know and his mercy is his commitment to engage and to in to be involved to respond to our weakness and frailty God knows that we're weak. He knows you're tired. He knows that you struggle and fail to trust and obey. He knows this. And his mercy is his loving response to our weakness. So Psalm 103, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame he remembers we're dust. When you're, when, you're just, when you're burnt out and you've come to the end of your endurance, His mercy has only begun. You see, that's exactly where God meets us, and He doesn't, he doesn't call us to buck up. He, he doesn't wonder w- w- why we're so feeble and so emotional and so what. He knows we are dust. You have the same thing in Psalm 78, where, where God responds to Israel's sin. Psalm 78, verse 36. They flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, that's our word, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. In Hebrews, God says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. Their iniquities. God knows we are weak. And Jeremiah, in the midst of experiencing God's fatherly displeasure, takes comfort and hope in God's unending mercies, that God's compassion and kindness for his sinful people is still there, even in the midst of discipline. Some of you you maybe this morning are just so tired so worn out, trying so hard to live a good Christian life, trying so hard to keep a stiff upper lip, trying to do your best and make the best, and and maybe this morning God is just calling you to to rest in tender mercy. God knows you're weak. He knows you're not up to this. Uh, He knows you fail, that you sin, but God is merciful toward the weakness and even the iniquities of his people in Jesus Christ. And these mercies, you see, don't end either. They, they, they're new every morning. Um, maybe you assume that they're new every morning because, you know, when you go to bed at night, it gives God a chance to recharge. But that's not, that's not the way it is, it is at all. It, you, they're new every morning, you see, because they never diminish the day before. They didn't diminish an iota. They never, it never wavered, never declined. No, no matter what. No matter what the circumstance of yesterday, God's mercy was constant. And it will always be that way. God, his tender compassion for you is as real and as mighty as the day he placed his son on a cross for your sin. The mercy that he has for you today is just as real, just as relevant, just as powerful, just as strong and fresh as the day Jesus died to rescue you from the judgment you deserve. And how does Jeremiah know these things? Because God is faithful. Great is your faithfulness. That's the rock that these things stand upon. God is who he is and he will not change. God does what he says he will do. His word cannot fail. What he promises, he performs. And so his love must be steadfast. His compassion must be confidence because they are rooted in the character of God's uh, eternally immutable, unchangeable faithfulness. He doesn't change. And that's the reason for hope. The character of God. And so Jeremiah concludes, his, he says to the Lord, verse 24, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. You see, his, his, his portion, a portion is what, what is allotted to you, that it's your possession, it's your inheritance. It would be, it would be your treasure, what is given to you from God and, 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 and can't be lost. It's what you rely upon. It's it's your joy and peace and uh, confidence in the future. And Jeremiah's portion is the Lord. Notice everything that he had hoped for from the Lord is gone. All the blessings that God had given, all the blessings are gone. But you see, those blessings were not the portion. The Lord was the portion. And that's critical for us to remember in this world. If you are in a hard place today, this is good news. This world and its heartache is not your portion. This is not what God has simply allotted to you um, in, in, in any ultimate sense. These are light and momentary troubles, Paul says, that are uh, going to be far outshone and outweighed in light of the glory that is just ahead. That's 2 Corinthians four 17. They're real, they're devastating, they're heartbreaking. There's nothing in Scripture that would, that would in any way um, undermine or under, undersell the reality of the heartache God's people endure. Lamentations 3 is evidence. But that's, this is not our portion. The world and its sorrows is not our portion. On the other hand, the world and its blessings is not our portion. We need to be clear about that because I think we would maybe be tempted to settle for the world and its blessings as our portion. If we could just have a carefree, pain-free life, have a good marriage, good health, good family, nice career, that, that sounds like a decent portion, retire on a lake somewhere. None of which is, they're all blessings from the Lord. They're all good gifts to be received with thanksgiving and praise to God, but none of them, you see, are a portion. You were made for so much more. God is our portion. God is, is what we receive, is the gift, is the possession, the inheritance. Psalm 73:25: Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh. And my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Friends, this is the the nugget of gold in the gospel, that Jesus Christ did not just come in to die for your sins. He didn't just come and die so you could be forgiven. He came and died so you could have God and nothing less God Himself in all of His glory, God in three persons, God eternal, God for you, God with you, and you with Him forever. That's the nugget of the, 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 the treasure of the gospel. That's, that's our portion. And if we're satisfied with anything less than that, you see, in some way we're sinning against the glory of the gospel. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God to bring us to God. That's the portion that gives hope, because that's the portion, not only that can never be lost, but that's the portion that makes us rich in the face of all loss. Paul, uh, Romans chapter 8, 35. I was just reading that recently, and it struck me when Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And those, you see, are meant to be comforting words. I remember reading those words and saying, well, tribulation doesn't sound good, distress doesn't sound good, persecution is awful, famine is terrible, nakedness, all oh, the shame of that, danger, no, sword, none of these things are appealing. But you see, the comfort here will only be comforting if we value the love of Christ more than we value anything that can be lost by tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or sword. You see, if the things that can be lost in those ways, if that's your portion, the love of Christ is not going to matter to you. It won't matter. There won't be any comfort there. But if to live is Christ, if his love is better than life, if communion with him is is your portion, if, if, if Jesus Christ and the love of Christ really is what you long for, if that's your portion, you see, then you have nothing to fear because nothing can separate you from that. Nothing can separate you from him. So if these things are true, then what should we do? Well, Jeremiah shows us what to do. Therefore, I will hope in him. Therefore, I will hope in him. Since the Lord is our portion, because his steadfast love will never cease and his mercies will never come to an end because his faithfulness has been, uh, it's both the reality of his character and it is signed and sealed with the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. We have every reason to hope in God, no matter what happens in 2019. And I mean no matter what happens in 2019. It doesn't mean there won't be tears. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. It just means that we have reasons for hope. Conspicuous hope. I don't know what 2019 will bring into your life or mine. I remember saying that last year as we began 2018. And God brought some pain that I, um, I just didn't expect. And then many of you could say the same. So I don't know what lies ahead. I know it'll, it'll, 2019 will we'll have joys and it will have sorrows. And some really great joys and some really desperate, heartbreaking sorrows. But one thing we absolutely know, the steadfast love of the Lord will never cease. And his mercies, his tender mercy will, will never come to an end. It will be new every morning. God's faithfulness will not fail. And nothing that happens in 2019 will change any of that. God will be our portion. And so we have reasons for great, expectant, joyful hope as we live this life looking for the life to come. As we live in this world waiting for the city whose builder and maker is God. That's where we are. That's who we are. That's who God is. Let's walk in hope. Amen. God in heaven, I thank you that Jesus Christ came to bring us to God. And Lord, I just, I pray that as we live in this world of temporal passing things, things that we're so tempted to to make our portion, I pray that, Lord God, we would see again today that Jesus alone can satisfy our heart and Jesus alone is our portion and, and that whatever joys or sorrows we experience in this life, nothing can change or challenge or match the reality of your love for us in Christ. Father, I pray for any who this morning who do not know Jesus in this way. I pray, Lord, that there would be a conviction that to, do, to live without Christ is to be dead already and to have no reason for hope. I pray, Lord, you'd give that faith today. Maybe we've been in church all of our life, but we realize if we lost the things that, that come from God, we would be utterly hopeless. I pray that today, Lord, our portion would be you alone. That we would trust you, your love and mercy and faithfulness. And be satisfied, even as we look forward to the day when the sorrow will be no more. (laughs) Lord, God, I pray this word would be inscribed in our heart. That things would be clearer and there would be more confidence, more joy, more expectancy. As we move into 2019, for this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And one day, one day, we will live with him. Until then, he walks with us, and so keep us walking with faith and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing that hymn you know from heart. Uh, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. See the benediction. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the countenance of his face upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's sing together. There's a higher throne.